Hello and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. We are back after a week break. If you missed the last episode, we are moving to one show every two weeks just with the offseason here. A lot less to talk about, but we're recording again. A couple moderately important announcements before we get going. So first, depending on how you listen to Chasing Perfection, we're changing locations. So as you know, if you subscribe to us either on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, any other podcast app that we're on, currently we're under the Yukon blog and our show appears in the Yukon blog feed. That is changing. We're moving to our own Chasing Perfection feed. So our show is going to be hosted on its own platform in the podcasting apps, whether that be again, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. I don't know anyone who doesn't use Apple podcasts, but If you use Spotify or something else, they're going to be there too. If you go through the Yukon blog to listen to the articles or listen to them on the site like that, that should be staying the same as far as I know right now. I don't think it's going to be changing. One difference is going to be that it's going to be hosted on the Yukon Women's Basketball Weekly page, which a lot of news to get to there, but that's going to be a main place. So you can actually subscribe straight to that part of the newsletter. If you're subscribed to the free weekly, you're not going to get the Chasing Perfection when it goes out, but you can sign up to get alerts for when Chasing Perfection goes out. So you can get it right in your email. You can listen right off your email. But again, you can also listen on the UConn blog, on the actual webpage for the Women's Basketball Weekly, or on, again, any of those podcasting apps. So that is probably going to be next week. We're just sorting out a few things on the back end or next episode in two weeks. Maybe we'll have one more here. It depends on how things go in that regard, but we'll put out an actual announcement, uh, push through an, a mini, I guess, announcement through those podcasting apps. You'll be well aware of when we make the change. So just so you're aware of that and have a heads up. Speaking of the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly, Last Monday, we launched a premium section of that newsletter. So it is basically a new platform for UConn women's basketball content from me, from Megan, from our photographer, Ian, from everyone else whose stuff that you've read on the weekly, on the UConn blog, on Store Central. Maybe you follow us on Twitter and have seen us. So for the off season, it is $6 a month or $70 for the year. You can also become a founding member for $140 for the entire year. That also gets you a free t-shirt, a free Title Town collection t-shirt that we have. You can see it on the Yukon blog under shop. If you go up to click there on the toolbar, you'll also get a free edition of a Yukon women's basketball magazine, a physical hard copy magazine that still in the works, still a little ways off. But when that does finally come out, If you're a founding member, you will get that first edition for free by subscribing. You are going to get once a week, a film review for me, breaking something down from the team. Last week, I looked at PF Gabriel, all 52 minutes that she played to try and see what she did well, what she didn't do well, where she could improve. This week, I looked at Mir McLean. Mir McLean is a lot better than I think I would have guessed just having seen her firsthand. She's a lot more skilled than I think I probably in my mind gave her credit for just because a lot of times I feel like she can play a little helter skelter, a little out of control, but she has some really nice post moves. She seems to have a good sense of when to go to the basket. She's got a pretty good looking jump shot, really good at boxing out and getting around players who are trying to box her out and getting inside positioning. So Mir McLean actually pretty good. That's going to be a film review out on Wednesday. Also, All our UConn and the WNBA coverage is going to be there. No one covers UConn players in the WNBA specifically. We are going to be taking that over. Megan's preview of every player in the WNBA is going to be going out this week. On Tuesday, we also had a story go out explaining why Gabby Williams got traded from the Chicago Sky, why she's suspended for the year, and just explaining that one out because I had no idea, so I needed to explain it to myself, and then I explained it to all of you. In addition to those two things, we're also going to have recruiting coverage, stories with stats. Megan, obviously, a stats expert here. And lots of other stuff for you there. So if you're a UConn women's basketball fan and you want consistent coverage of the Huskies throughout the entire summer, and then once we get into next season, we're really going to blow the thing up. So 
get in now while you can. The price is going to increase before the start of the season. So if you get $70 off, you're basically getting a big discount for the first year. But that is a lot to process right there. So those are the announcements. So to get into the news, Paige Beckers underwent ankle surgery at UConn Health Center on April 30th to fix, uh, let's see if I can pronounce this one right, an osteochondral defect. So from my understanding, this is what that is according to Google. It's going to make no sense, but I'm going to read it anyways. Quote, it refers to a focal area of damage that involves both the cartilage and a piece of underlying bone. These can occur from acute traumatic injury to the knee or an underlying disorder to the bone. From my understanding, I don't really understand what that sentence means. From my understanding, it's more of a chronic thing than something caused by injury. I do think UConn said that it was not due to the ankle injury against Tennessee that she suffered or any subsequent re-injuries to that ankle. It seems to be more of a chronic thing. I'm not overly concerned about it. She's apparently supposed to be ready for the start of the season. I think it's a little concerning when you start talking about cartilage, but if you're going to have a chronic issue somewhere, kind of feels like ankles the place to pick. So it doesn't seem like it's a major concern. Obviously, she was still dominant this season dealing with that injury throughout the year. So hopefully the surgery is more of just a fix-up thing to help it long-term, and it's not really going to cause her any issues going forward. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think at least it's not a knee because I think as soon as you start saying yep. knee surgery, I get real worried, but it's an ankle. So, you know, less, less worried about that. And she played through it all the season long. So hopefully it kind of fixes it, fixes it, makes it better for her for next season, but sounds like she'll be ready to go come November. How utterly terrifying must it be to be every other team in the country and be like, oh no, that wasn't Paige Beckers at full strength. That was Paige Beckers with an ankle injury. We don't know how serious it was, but it kind of did seem, at least the Tennessee injury seemed to be affecting her for a good chunk of the season. If it was both the Tennessee injury and whatever an osteochondral defect is on top of that, and she still swept the national player of the year awards that she could win she was still a consensus all-american she was still by far the best player in the country <laughs> like i don't know what to do except laugh exactly like if that wasn't Paige becker's freshman at full force i can only imagine what Paige becker's sophomore season is going to look like if that's healed <laughs> Paige becker's sophomore season fully healthy with a much better team around her like that's not just bringing out the kraken that's like giving the kraken an like a machine gun to work with <laughs> like, yeah. scary very scary kind of fear you kind of fan though <laughs> right another area of improvement for the team they have hired a new director of sports performance andrea hootie if that name is familiar to you, she was previously at UConn from 1995 to 2004. I think for some of that, she was in some regard a grad assistant. She graduated with a master's degree from UConn in 1998. I think she was the team's full-time strength and conditioning coach. That's more or less what it is. After she graduated and until 2004, she was at Kansas for a really long time working with, I think, the men's basketball program there. She then moved to Texas where she worked with both the men's and the women's teams. It, it was a little confusing when I saw this come through because UConn men's basketball is looking for a new strength and conditioning coach. Women's basketball already had one, Amanda Kimball, who's now the director of holistic and reintegration sports performance. I don't know what that means. Is there any field in just not even college athletics, but specifically just sports as a whole that has have more word salad titles than what are more or less strength and conditioning? I don't think so. I feel like there's so <laughs> many different ways to say basically the same thing, which I'm sure there's right. actually some differentiation, but I have no idea what it is. <laughs> right. Like you can have director of sports performance, director of holistic and reintegration sports performance. Then there's some teams that have like just straight up strength and conditioning coaches, director of nutrition and team performance, there's a million things, or I guess a close alternative would be whatever they name baseball GMs nowadays, because the GM for a baseball team is never just the general manager anymore. They have to be like the director of baseball operations or the chief baseball operations officer or the Holy King high highness of baseball. <laughs> like you just can't have something simple with that. 
I feel like the actual term strength and conditioning coach has kind of just fallen off. You're not allowed to use that anymore. It's not fancy enough, (laughs) but it seems like from the reaction that we saw, at least I saw on Twitter, I know that's not the best metric of things, but it seems like people are very excited about this hire. People that at least would know are very excited about this hire. I don't think you go out and hire a new strength and conditioning coach when you already have one, someone who's been with the team since 2004. So it's not like Kimball had just been a recent hire who had only kind of been around for a couple of years. It seems like they knew that Hootie was on the market. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Hootie, Hootie. It seems like they knew she was on the marketer. She wanted to come back to UConn. They were able to find a new role for Kimball. And you've just got now two really good people in your strength and conditioning program. Not that that's been an area of weakness or I've never felt like UConn isn't strong enough, but it's just whenever you can add someone that, I mean, we've seen with the staff in the past, they know what they're doing when they make hires. So you kind of have to defer to them on how good this hire is going to be. So there should be a lot of confidence in it just in that regard alone. Yeah, I would agree with that, I think, especially when you didn't need to make that hire. It obviously speaks volumes that they they chose to make that hire. So it, it should be a good addition for the program. Speaking of coaches, even though is a strength and conditioning coach technically a coach? Speaking of basketball coaches, I guess, Tamika Williams getting her first shot as a head coach. I Tamika Williams Jeter, I should say, is her full name now. At Wittenberg University, a Division three school in Ohio, Obviously, she grew up in Ohio, came from Ohio, previously was coaching at Ohio State. Actually, her longest stop as an assistant coach was at Ohio. Cool to see her finally get her chance as a head coach. Yeah, definitely. Always exciting to see that. It's a Division three program, I believe. But yeah. De- yeah, definitely excited to see what she does as a head coach and kind of where it grows from there. I think, you know, it's probably a stepping stone into a, a head coach role and only she could if she's just successful there i'm sure we'll see her maybe at a d2 or d1 program in the future right i think that's kind of an underrated pathway where you can go to a d3 school where the 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 pressure isn't as high on you the recruiting's tougher so you really need to recruit kids to come to your school because it's not like the scholarships matter really once you get out of the NESCAC, the names don't really matter either you're just trying to get kids to commit to you as a coach as a program So it seems like at least a good place for her to start becoming a head coach. She's got a really interesting coaching journey. When she left UConn, she not only started in the WNBA, she was a high pick in the WNBA. She was an assistant coach at the same time. So she started at Ohio State as a graduate assistant, became a full-time assistant shortly thereafter. So for her entire WNBA career, she was an assistant coach with someone along the lines of Dawn Staley, who was not only playing in the WNBA, she was a head coach, which is even more impressive. But then I think what's really interesting after Ohio state, she went to Kansas. And then after two years in Kansas, she decided to step away from coaching for four years. She moved down to Texas, went into the private sector, then returned to coaching in 2014 at Kentucky. And then her last two years have been at Ohio state. So pretty wild that she's not only had a stint where she stepped away from coaching for, I mean, four years is a short amount of time, but also a pretty long amount of time to be out of coaching. And I guess it's a good sign if she wanted to get back into it after. And then now she's a head coach. So it's a pretty wild journey for her from UConn being in the WNBA, being an assistant coach for so long, not even coaching. Now she's finally a head coach. Yeah, exactly. Kind of a roundabout journey to get there, but it'll be interesting to see what she does. And in terms of recruiting to players come to come play for her, how many Division three players are going to have a chance to learn from a former WNBA player. So I think that will probably definitely help her be successful at that level. It's going to be a a unique opportunity for, for those players. So excited to see what she does. Right. Not only that, but the athletic director of the school is Brian Agler, former WNBA coach himself. So he's not going to be super involved in the program. I imagine, because it'll be Tamika Williams Jeter's program, but even still you have two WNBA people in your program, connected to your program, I guess, at the school, that's a pretty attractive draw for a player who's going to go Division three, where you're not going to get the glory, you're not going to get the facilities, the, I guess, treatment of a Division one player, even a low Division one player. She already has a step up on everyone else recruiting. 
Exactly. Just the opportunity to learn from people with that kind of experience and also the connections they'll be able to make too. If, even if those players, you know, want to go into something like coaching or working in a front office down the road, you'll just have a lot of connections coming out of that. That'll be really helpful to get there. Yeah, absolutely. So while I was writing up the story on her being a, getting the head coaching job, obviously she played at UConn before my time, before Megan's time, she came in the very, very vaunted now 1998 class for UConn nicknamed the task force T A S S K because that was the initials of all the players. It was T for Tamika Williams, a for Asia Jones, S both the S's, Sue Bird, Swin Cash, the K was for Kirsten Walters. I don't know who came up with that. I think there is someone who is responsible for that. I want to say it might be, it might actually be Tamika. I'm not sure, but it's amazing when you look at that group where Asia Jones, not only really good player in college, gold medalist, WNBA player, WNBA coach, and now in the Portland Trailblazers front office, Swin Cash, same thing. Great UConn player, great WNBA player in the Pelicans front office. Sue Bird, I don't think we need to say much there. (laughs) Yet of all those players, Tamika Williams was the number one player in the class. And not only that, she was the Big East freshman of the year. That's a very, very impressive feat considering how good that class became, how dominant they were winning two national championships. That 2000 team, you can make an argument that they're the best team in program history. It's either them or 2016. So the fact that she was as good of a player as she was, I feel like she probably gets a little, doesn't really get the attention that she maybe deserves because she wasn't an All-American. She wasn't a superstar, but from someone who didn't watch her play firsthand, I was a little surprised just how good she was at UConn. Yeah, I was also surprised when you were rattling off some of those facts before we were recording. So definitely a player that had a better UConn career than I would have remembered growing up, like watching that class. But I think, you know, the superstardom of Super maybe overshadowed when <laughs> Cash overshadowed that a little bit. But um, yeah, it's awesome to see her getting an opportunity in this space now. You know, I... I I was going to save this take for later when we got to our WNBA preview, but I have a very hot super take for me. In my opinion, she is the only UConn women's basketball player whose legacy is bigger in the WNBA than it is at UConn because I mean, super was a great player at UConn. I'm not trying to knock that, but I feel like more than Diana Taurasi, I feel like Diana Taurasi is so interconnected to UConn. And even though like everyone regards her as the goat, When people talk about that, they always talk about her three national championships at UConn too and what she did there. But I feel like so much of the aura of Sue Bird is built around what she's done in the WNBA. What do you think of that? Yeah, I kind of agree with you so much about, you know, Sue Bird's time in the WNBA is, you know, she's now won three different championships in in three decades and she's just had such sustained success at that level. And obviously she was great at UConn, but I don't think really that's where her claim to fame comes from it's it's more from her success at the professional level right which is i mean it's ridiculous to say because i'm pretty sure she won a national player of the year award at uconn was a lieberman winner at uconn obviously the two national championships has probably the most iconic play in program history with bird at the buzzer and the big east championship against notre dame i don't know any one singular play at least that was positive for UConn that you could point to that's more iconic than that one. And yeah, it just feels like her WNBA legacy is so much larger. And like Brianna Stewart, Brianna Stewart could win every single WNBA title for the rest of her career and win every single MVP award. But the fact that she's the only player in college history, along with her two classmates to win four championships in four years at UConn, I still feel like that is still such a huge part of her legacy because she's already the player that wins trophies all the time, but that started at UConn. And I feel like just more so than Sue Bird and even to a certain degree, Diana Taurasi, she's still so interconnected with UConn. And maybe that's just because it's so recent that she was at UConn, but I still feel like the UConn aspect of Stewie's legacy is still pretty large. Yeah. I think just like what she accomplished in college is so remarkable. She probably could have retired like one year into her professional career and still been a Hall of Famer. So I think, um, yeah, there's just something so unique about what she was able to do in her time at UConn. And it's probably something that will never be replicated. I would be shocked if it's ever replicated. So um, yeah, I think it's just, it's always going to be connected back to that is no matter how many 
pro championship she wins and there's going to be plenty of them there already has been plenty of them i think it's all going to come back to kind of where it started with uconn yeah definitely so just to wrap up the news Kyla Irwin going to Vanderbilt Shea Ralph staff to be the director of player development and community relations. That seems like a very good fit for Kyla Irwin. If you've ever interacted with her, ever heard her talk, just very, very nice person, really easy to talk to really friendly. Seems like a good fit and Vanderbilt quickly becoming Yukon South with both Shea Ralph now Kyla Irwin and also assistant coach Kevin DeMille, who was a practice player slash student manager slash grad assistant at UConn also was on Jen Rosati's staff at George Washington. So I imagine the UConn connections are probably going to continue as more time goes on. For sure. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some more UConn names flow through the staff there, but a great role for Kyla. I think it's going to be good for for her and just like a, a, a solid gig to land kind of just a couple years out of college. So exciting for her. Right. That's, I mean, I don't mean to say it as an easy gig, be like in terms of like anyone could do it, but like that seems like a very nice out of college gig to get where you live in Nashville from every account that I've heard is a great city. You work at Vanderbilt, which is a very prestigious university and it's got that SEC money. Anywhere you can go where you get that SEC cash. Oh, that's a good place to be. And it's just a nice resume booster. I mean, you're a pretty prominent role on what I think we kind of expect to be a pretty good college program. And even if, you know, Vanderbilt doesn't end up being a national power, you're, you've still held a pretty high role at a division one school like that. So whatever she wants to go into in the future, if maybe she doesn't want to be a coach, but wants to be more in the administrative side of things, she's got a lot of really good references and she's going to have the experience to go along with it too. Exactly. So definitely a good way for her to get her foot into the door to whatever is going to come next for her. So that's going to wrap up the news from the past two weeks. Hopefully for the last time, we'll say this, we're going to take a quick ad break and then we're going to get into UConn in the WNBA season starting this Friday. We are back. So starting with UConn in the WNBA, I think the biggest player to talk about is someone who's not going to play this year. Gabby Williams, a lot of drama going on with her in this past week. She was on the Chicago Sky last week. She is now a member of the LA Sparks. And regardless, she's not going to play this year. She's on the suspended list, which off the bat kind of sounds very serious. You hear a player gets suspended for the year. You got to think they did something serious. They broke some pretty big rule, something like that. WNBA is a little different. They use the suspended list as just an exempt from the roster list, more or less. She's going to play with the French national team for most of the WNBA season. They've got the Eurobasket, which correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's like the qualification tournament for the Olympics for Europe, right? I want to say that Olympic qualifying has already happened and that's actually qualifying for the FIBA world cup, but I could be wrong. Okay. Well, I couldn't find an answer online. Okay. <laughs> Either way, she's going to be playing in that. And then, she is also going most likely going to be going to the Olympics with the French national team. If you're wondering why she's playing for the French national team, I believe she has some maternal connection where either a grandparent or something is French. And that gives her the ability to play for the French national team. Bria Hartley did the same thing a few years ago. I want to say at the last Olympics back, how are the last Olympics 2016? Like I know that works out math wise, but those Olympics are no less than a decade ago. <laughs> yeah, it feels like 2016 was a very long time ago. Well, especially considering Gino Oriyama caught holy hell for putting Brianna Stewart on that roster. And now the thought of a USA roster without Brianna Stewart just seems <laughs> unfathomable. Yeah, agreed. Also, I looked it up and it the I believe the FIBA tournament is actually qualifying for the Olympics. So you are correct. Um Okay. Well, if I'm not mistaken, the French national team is like the best European team, right? Yeah, they're Early. definitely one of the better teams. I don't know if they're the best necessarily, but they're definitely up there. So, Okay, but yeah. So pretty good that she got there, especially considering, I mean, the U.S. national team is just so ridiculous. It's something like they haven't lost a game in like 15 years. I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but like statistically, they are the most dominant team, I think, in sports history. It's just ridiculous how much they win in like a modern era. I think since the WNBA was founded, they might have like five losses or something. 
and they're going to absolutely waltz to the Olympic gold medal this year. Like, I don't know who they're playing. I don't really know who's going to be on that team, but I know they're going to win gold and win <laughs> every game by probably like 20 or 30. So they're really good. So like, it's tough to crack that national team when you're a good player like Gabby Williams, but you have to be one of the top 10 players in the world, basically to make that roster. And that is a very short list, even though it's mostly made up of UConn players. <laughs> that is true. Gabby Williams, to get back to her, she requested a trade from the Chicago Sky during the draft. There were rumors that she was going to get traded. Nothing actually came to fruition, but it seemed like she wanted some more playing time. And then from what James Wade, Chicago's head coach, said was that he wanted Gabby Williams to come for training camp, be with the team until she left for her national team duties. Gabby Williams didn't want to do that. They suspended her. Gabby Williams wasn't happy with that. She was tweeting through her feelings, I guess is the right way to say it. She replied to a tweet from Alex Bazell, Nafisa Collier's fiance slash WNBA trainer, who said hashtag free Gabby. She tweeted, wait, is this my evil villain origin story? Because Gabby Williams, very big fan of Marvel and superheroes. That was very funny. I think there were a couple eye roll emojis in there too. So she clearly was not happy with the decision. It seems like she wanted to get traded one way or another and getting suspended just kind of sped up the whole process and really forced a move. I think there was a quote in the Chicago Sun-Times who actually, I want to look up who that writer was, unless you know who the Chicago Sun-Times WNBA writer is, because they did a great job of covering the entire saga. So I want to, specifically shout out their name say it was like Anne something but i don't remember her full name annie costabile i hope i said that right shout out to her she did a absolutely great job of covering the entire gabby williams saga for the chicago sun times i imagine she does a great job covering the wnba as a whole i just obviously don't follow the chicago sky super closely but just wanted to give her a mention because I, as I was researching it all, her articles kept coming up. So James Wade said in the Chicago Sun-Times that he was told that Gabby was never going to play for the Chicago Sky again. Look, sometimes you just got to get out. And seems like James Wade doesn't really get away along with former UConn players super well. <laughs> seems to be a bit of a trend there. But either way, she's with the LA Sparks. She's going to be playing in some incredible uniforms. Did we discuss the WNBA uniforms on the show? Because they are awesome this year and they used to be terrible like three years ago. Yeah. I don't know that we would discuss them, but we should because they are fantastic. I just got my Diana Trossi New Jersey in the mail and it's great. Yeah. The Phoenix uniforms are definitely among the best of of the group, I think this year, but yeah, the new uniforms are awesome. Um, And the LA ones are also awesome. So I'm kind of excited to have a reason to buy one now because I didn't really have a reason before, but I want one. <laughs> yep. No, that's a good call. I just like, don't wear basketball jerseys. I think I have one Yukon Jersey that I got when I was like 13 that I still fits me, but yeah, I would definitely like, if I wore basketball jerseys, I would absolutely get one because pretty much not every team. Some teams are bad. Seattle storm really messed up. Yeah. Like all you have to do is create a vehicle for people to buy Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart jerseys that look good, and they somehow messed that one up. I don't know how you did it. Those ones are bad, but the Connecticut Sun, those ones were awesome. I love yeah. the Suns. I mean, you have such great colors, you got to lean into those. And then I thought it was really cool that they had jerseys. Well, not only did the jerseys have designs that were designs that incorporated some aspects of the Mohegan tribe and various things with that. They also have the third alternate Jersey that has a word in the Mohegan language that is related to the sun, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah. I believe it means sun in the Mohegan language. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that I think, I think it's really cool when teams do things like that. I mean, the New York Liberty, again, a team with just great colors that you just have to not mess it up and they managed not to mess it up. They knocked it out of the park. Those ones were great. Again, you just need a vehicle for people to buy Sabrina UNESCO jerseys and they pulled it off. Yeah. The Minnesota ones are pretty cool too. Their rebel edition is like a, it's a tribute to Prince and everything. Oh yeah. That's right. So those are pretty awesome. So if anyone's looking for a Nafisa Collier, Crystal Dangerfield jersey, they're definitely worth 
taking a look at as well. And then, yeah, Phoenix is fantastic as well. Um, I thought they did a great job with theirs too. Right. I mean, like the jerseys were so great that I don't wear basketball jerseys and it made me want to get one. I don't yeah. actually know who I get. I see like, I I think a lot of the attention was on Phoenix and LA, which as they should, but one, I'm never buying an LA anything Jersey with purple and gold. <laughs> That's just a non-starter as a Celtics fan, even though it's a different team technically, but like, I, I feel like the Suns just didn't get enough recognition. Like they were very basic and simple designs, but they pulled them off so well. I feel like I'd probably get a sun Jersey of anyone, but like, I mean, those Phoenix ones are really hard to turn down to. Yeah, I just got the Phoenix one for now. I do want a Sun one, but I had to restrain the desire to buy like five different jerseys at once because I already own a lot. And I actually don't wear them that much, so I'm trying to figure out more ways <laughs> to wear them. <laughs> but <laughs> See, I'm, I'm a very big soccer jersey person because soccer jerseys are great because they're just like normal shirts. So yeah. you don't have to get like creative with how you wear them. You can just throw them on and it's like wearing a T-shirt. I have a bit of a buying soccer jersey problem, <laughs> but anyways, yeah. Buying jerseys would be a lot easier if they weren't so expensive. Yeah, though I did find, I found a WNBA all-star jersey in a thrift store in New York City the other day for $10. So that was a win. Was like this That is, is a deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the coolest what, thing like, I've ever found. <laughs> what year era is it from? Uh, it was like a couple years ago. I forget. I think it was like 2018 All-Star Game or 2019. Oh, it's not so long pretty ago. recent. Yeah. Wow. Yep. That's a really good find. Well, back to you kind of in the WNBA. <laughs> Feels like there's pretty much two defining storylines in this regard. And it's the two UConn super teams out West with the Seattle Storm, which has been a UConn super team for a little while. And it's just kind of adding to its power. And the Phoenix Mercury, who's Obviously, always had Diana Taurasi, but they really loaded up on the UConn players this past offseason. So I guess the place to start is Seattle, the reigning defending champions. And specifically, Brianna Stewart finished the Europe League with a ring, gets home, has another ring, recently got engaged to Marta Zarge. Seattle, once again, feels like a Death Star just because they have Brianna Stewart. Am I wrong? They are still going to be good, I think. I think they're still going to be really good. I mean, they still have Brianna Stewart. They still have Sue Bird. They still have Jewel Lloyd. But they did lose a couple kind of key pieces in the offseason. They lost Natasha Howard, who has been really fantastic for them, was really strong for them when Brianna Stewart was out two seasons ago with her Achilles injury. And then they also lost Alicia Clark to the Mystics, which was kind of one of their elite defenders on the court. So lost two two key pieces to starters. But they've added some things. They got some young talent that I think is ready to step up. So I'm I'm excited to see what they do this season. I think. I mean, any team that has Brianna Stewart on it is going to be really good, right? So they're still going to be right. really good. <laughs> right. Obviously, as you mentioned, it Sue Bird's still going. We don't even need to say the R <laughs> word here. She's just going to play forever, and we just need to accept that. There's actually a really interesting article from Erica Ayala in Sports Illustrated about how UConn, or not how UConn's number one picks, how WNBA number one picks first realized that going pro and becoming a professional basketball player was really an option. And Sue Bird said that it was actually Gino that put that on the map for her after the 2000 Olympics. She was going into her junior season. He was an assistant coach on the U.S. team at the Sydney Olympics that won gold. And he came back and having been with these Olympians, these gold medalists, he saw Sue Bird play and he's like, and he told her, you're just as good as these players. You're more than capable of playing at the next level. And he, and Sue Bird said, that's when it kind of, clicked with her that this could be a career for her which is just wild to say now because she's been playing in the WNBA for closing in on two decades and just two years before she even got drafted it wasn't necessarily a major consideration for her so I thought that was really cool and the entire story was really cool too yeah that is a really cool story Um, and obviously not to see her have been that successful at the next level for such an extended period of time. Obviously she, she got there and it's just been incredible at the level. And then also she's going to be playing at the Olympics this year, going for her fifth gold medal, if I'm not mistaken, which is just, I feel like the proper term here is utterly preposterous. Yeah. There's just no better way to describe going for your fifth gold medal than utterly preposterous, preposterous. 
Yeah, I think it's just so hard to like articulate how impressive Subert's career has been. And I mean, Diana Taurasi's for that magic too, which we'll get to shortly. But just what the two of them have been able to do at such a high level over such a long period of time. Like you're talking about jumping to Taurasi, but a player that was a second team all WNBA player last season. Like she's just still playing at that level. It's so impressive. One last Seattle UConn player, Katie Lou Samuelson got traded there this off season for the number one pick in the draft. So regardless of what you think in the draft, there's going to be expectations that come with that type of deal. She had a really good year in Europe, made the all year league first team. Was she the MVP? She was the MVP for the Spanish or Spanish league. Okay. Finals. Yep. So won the Spanish league got to the finals of the Euro league, if I'm not mistaken, before losing to Brianna Stewart, right? Yeah, and that's like a juggernaut team in EuroLeague too. It's got Brianna Stewart, right. but it's also like John Cole Jones, Brittany Griner. It's basically like an all. If you took made an all star team from the WNBA and put them <laughs> as an actual team, that's what that team is. <laughs> right. So it's kind of like when you when a team gets to the final against UConn in the conference tournament, like you're kind of the conference champions besides UConn. Like that's a pretty good accomplishment, even though we all know you're not going to beat the other team. So really, really good year in Europe. The results haven't necessarily come for her in the WNBA, but I think Seattle's really banking on that strong year in Europe, a change of scenery, a really good team around her. I don't think she's really had that great of a team around her in the past. Maybe this is finally going to be the year that she realizes her potential as obviously such a high pick, but such a talented player too. We saw it during her career at UConn. She knows how to play basketball, but for one reason or another, it just hasn't clicked to this point. Yeah. And she's going to fit into this lineup well too. I think another piece that they lost in the off season that I didn't mention is Sammy Whitcomb, who was kind of their three point specialist. So I think they're hoping that Samuelson is going to slide into that role nicely. She's going to miss, I believe it's the first couple weeks of the season with USA three by three. Um, trials, but she should be back in for after the first couple of weeks, and we'll get to see what she looks like in Seattle. Right, I feel like a, a lot of the UConn players here that we're mentioning are gonna miss the early portion of the season, but yeah, it's still plenty of them to watch. Moving on south to the desert, Phoenix. I mean, I know the Phoenix Mercury existed before Diana Taurasi was drafted by them, but like. What is the Phoenix Mercury's identity going to be after she leaves? Because like the, the two are just so tied together that like, I don't even know if there's really that good of a comparison because almost their entire franchise has been built around Brianna Stewart, uh, not Brianna Stewart around Diana Taurasi. So I mean, yeah, like <laughs> Diana Taurasi is the Phoenix Mercury. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she's 16 years playing. She's been on the Phoenix Mercury for every single one of those years. Obviously, what she's done speaks for itself. So she really is the heart and soul of this team and has been for a long time now. So is it when she does retire? I know it's coming. I'm not looking forward to it, but I know it's coming. Hey, 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 hey. no R word on this podcast. We do not use that word. But yeah, yeah, no, she's also going to play forever. Yes, she's definitely going to play forever. But when forever ends, it's weird to think about what Phoenix Mercury looks like without Diana Taurasi. Can we just talk about how much Superd and Diana Taurasi are just going to tear up their post playing careers? Like, I don't know what they're going to do, but they're going to do something and it's going to be incredible. Like, they should really have their own TV show every single week or like video show somewhere. Like, basically, their Instagram lives, but every week, and they don't even have to talk about basketball. They literally just talk for 30 minutes, an hour every day. That would just be so incredible. And I know Sue Bird was involved with it. Is Diana Taurasi also involved in that together media company with about covering women's sports? Alex Morgan, I know was involved. Is Taurasi in that too? I don't think so. I think it's just Sue Bird, Alex Morgan, Chloe Kim, and Simone Manuel that are that are running it. But yeah, I'm sure whatever they do, Tarasi does when she decides that it's it's time to hang up the jersey is it's gonna be incredible. Right. I mean they have the platform for it one way or another. She's got some fellow UConn players to keep her company down in the desert though. Bria Hartley was there last season, was having just a phenomenal season. I know some people kind of had raised eyebrows when they signed her to that max contract, but she had a great year and then unfortunately tore her ACL. It seems like she's going to be back in time for the start of the season though. So hopefully she can build on that 
season that she had last year and the ACL doesn't really set her back or affect her too much. Agreed. I think she might miss a little bit of time at the beginning. I think she might be on limited minutes to start out, but it'll be exciting to see what she comes back as and if she can kind of duplicate what we saw from her in the bubble last season, I think was really impressive to everyone and maybe not what was expected. So she can definitely be a really big piece for this Phoenix team if she's able to replicate that when she's back on the court. Two new newcomers from actually it's the Phoenix Mercury are starting to become former UConn players that played on the New York Liberty sooner or later, Tina Charles and Kia Stokes are going to make their way to Phoenix. (laughs) Kia nurse got traded there this summer. Obviously she's had a really solid career to this point on a new team. Now really good friends with Bria Hartley. I think they played together at UConn or did they not overlap at UConn? Uh, I don't think they did. Okay. They might've just missed each other. I think Hartley was, 14 so maybe yeah then i think nurse came in 14 15 the year after but they played together in new york i was reading a story about how the two have a really good bond with each other really close friends she's also now a sports broadcaster she's been doing games on tsn up in canada and apparently has been doing really well she's been on a lot of games a lot of coverage so i think it's just really cool that she's got a very good basketball career going and she already has her career lined up and going pretty well for what she's going to be doing whenever her basketball playing days end. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, and I think she, I'm excited to see what she does this season on the court too. I think she had a really solid sophomore year in the league and then definitely struggled some last year, but I'm, I'm interested to see how she does with this transition. I think not that you can read much from preseason games, but she had a solid game in their preseason game. I think she loved the team in scoring. I forget how many points it was, but points. a, a 26 points. So yeah, a lot of points, solid start to the preseason for her. So I wouldn't be surprised to see her in the starting lineup for this team, at least at some point during the season, if not to start things off. So excited to see kind of where where this year goes and if she can build on that, that second season of the league and be that type of player. Again, she was an all-star that year. Can she, if she can kind of play at that level again, it's definitely going to make Phoenix a better team. Right. I was reading one story on her. I wish I had who it was in front of me, but she had a quote where she said every single day was a rough shooting day for me in the bubble. And I feel like that's not something that should be discounted because it's one thing when you're in a normal season and you have a bad shooting night, you go over five and then you go home, you see your dog, you watch TV for the rest of the night, and then you get up and you go to the facility the next day. But when you're in the bubble, I know they probably did things to get their mind off basketball, but you just can't escape it. It's not like you can go out, go for a drive do anything like that. You're just stuck there. So it feels like last season, it was probably a lot easier for one bad day to pile into two, to pile into three, to pile into a bad season. So we know Kia nurse can shoot the ball. And I just very firmly believe that people who have a track record of being really good shooters and then have one bad shooting year, I feel pretty good that those type of players are going to bounce back. So kind of the same thing with Katie Lou Samuelson. I mean, it wasn't Kia Nurse's fault, but the New York Liberty were god awful last season. They were terrible. They were a borderline, not even a WNBA team at certain points. Like UConn's 2016 team probably would have beaten the crap out of last year's New York Liberty team. So again, it's always going to help players. Players are going to be better when they're on better teams. So not only the fact that she was having a rough personal season, but that the team was just awful. This seems like a really good change of scenery for her. Yeah, I agree. I think she's going to have a a solid role here, but she's got a lot better pieces around her. And I think, like you said, that just makes it easier to succeed. So I'm excited to see what she does. And I think having that kind of stronger core around her is going to probably make it easier to return to that kind of all-star level that she was playing at in in her second season. Even if she's not an all-star because she's not going to have to do nearly as much as she had to do on that Liberty team. I think, you know, just playing at a, a higher level is something that we'll see from her this year. Right. I mean, I've said this before, but she's a three and D player in like the best possible use of that word. She's a really good defender. As we've seen, she's a really good three point shooter and she can also handle the point guard duties. I don't, I think she's at her best when she's kind of playing off the ball, but she can play point guard. I think she plays point guard for the Canadian national team. So what is it going to be three different countries in the Olympics represented by UConn players, right? U S France and Canada. Yeah, I think so. So three and we could be missing someone i think that's just the three but you never know oh isn't uh 
Kia Stokes on the Turkey national team, right? She, she has been in the past. So yeah, I'm not sure if she is okay. playing for them this season, but I know Evelyn Adebayo has gotten some call-ups to the Great Britain team. I don't, I think she's kind of like a fringe player in that pool though. I don't think she would make the Olympic roster, but it, anything's possible. Also, yeah. I don't think Turkey's going to make the Olympics anyways, if like we're getting to that point <laughs> with Kia Stokes. So still three players or three different countries represented is pretty good. I think that was the same deal as the last one, right? Because you had obviously us and Canada with those two. And then also Bria Hartley with France. Yes. Yep. Yeah, Have we, would it be possible for Aaliyah Edwards to make the Canadian national team for the Olympics? Is Has that been discussed at all? You know, I don't think we've discussed it, but I don't see why it couldn't be a possibility. Like, I don't know if they've had a camp or anything yet, but you have yeah. to figure she's at least going to get an invite to that camp. Whether or not she makes it, I think it is a different story. But I mean, how many Canadian players are there? that can do what Aaliyah Edwards can do. Like whether or not you think she might be there skill wise, just throw her in there for 10 minutes a game to beat the crap out of the other team's center and then take her out. Once she gets four fouls, like that's a very effective player. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not, she hasn't played with the senior national team before. So it's definitely right. not like a totally out of left field suggestion. I honestly haven't really looked into like what their camp situation is and stuff, but yeah, I don't think it's out of the question to say that she could be in the mix for that. Also should be mentioned that Steph Dolson is probably going to be on the three on three, three by three Olympic team for the U.S. So they'll have multiple athletes playing in different competitions. That's a really weird one to add to the Olympics. I don't really understand how there's two different basketball competitions, but I mean, yeah, more UConn. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't like who knows if some UConn players are playing for <laughs> Some other countries, three by three teams. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see. Plot twist on a Makarats on Poland. Who knows? <laughs> she was in national team camp or some sort of national team camp last summer. So anything's possible. Yeah. Going back to Leah Edwards, the last camp for Canada I can find was a virtual team camp in February, which she was invited. She was one of 20 players invited to. So I think not at least out of the question that she could be in the mix for that Olympic roster. That would be really wild. That would be some amazing experience for her. Yeah. Traded with Kia nurse in that deal to Phoenix from New York, Megan Walker picked by the New York Liberty in the first round last season. Although she was in fairness, she was one of roughly 50 rookies on the Liberty (laughs) team last season. Clearly I have a very, very high uh, opinion of the New York Liberty and their organization. Didn't have a great rookie year, pretty bad rookie year, actually. I think the most concerning thing with her is Liberty head coach Walt Hopkins a couple times mentioned effort issues with her. And it's one thing if, like, I think coming out, there is a sense that maybe it might take her a year just because she's coming out early and the she just might not be up to speed. But the fact that effort is an issue and the fact that that was also an issue at UConn, too, not really a great sign. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, I don't think she's really at risk of not making this roster, but like, I think she's probably in that, that final pool of players that they're, you know, looking at down the last couple of days here before they have to, to, to finish out this roster. But um, I mean, she, she played, I think decently well, at least abroad this season. She played with Gabby Williams actually um, for a Supreme basket. They made it to the, the semifinals of, of your league. So I saw a, a decent season abroad. I, I don't, like I said, I don't think she's actually at risk of not making this Phoenix Mercury team, but I think she's in a position where she needs to have a, a, a solid, somewhat solid season this year to guarantee her spot in the league next come next year. Right. Well, especially I think a pretty defining storyline of this WNBA preseason is that one, there aren't enough spots for all the good players in the league because there's not enough teams. And two, for some reason, every single team is tight against the salary cap. And like a lot of teams aren't even carrying their full allotment of players because they just don't have the space. So roster spots and I guess cap space even are at a premium. It feels like more so this season than in years past. You can correct me, but yeah, she's got a at least show some potential this season to really, even if it's not with the Phoenix Mercury, make another team want to give her a shot. 
Yeah, exactly. I think you're correct in saying that. I think it's just one, the influx of talent, like it's just been coming for a while, but there's, there's a shortage of available spots. And then with the new CBA, there's definitely some extra cap restraints this year that seem to be taking kind of an effect. So it's limited spot. I mean, the Mercury are down to the point where I think they still have to cut two to three more players. I forget exactly what their cap situation is, but they still have 14 on their roster. So they at least have to cut two more, but I wouldn't be surprised to say that maybe more than half the teams in the league might only carry 11. So there's less than 144 spots to go around and there's only more talent coming. So, uh, you know, if she doesn't prove something this season, I think she's going to find herself in a spot where she's going to be maybe struggling a little bit to to fit into a roster next year. Yeah, definitely. Another pretty major UConn hub is out in Minnesota. Crystal Dangerfield coming off a rookie of the year campaign. And I feel like with her, she's probably going to be the type of player that has a much better sophomore season and her numbers will probably drop across the board just because the links are going to have a lot more, a lot better players around her. And she's not going to need to necessarily score as much, pass the ball as much, really kind of carry the team the way she did as a rookie. So I feel like maybe it's going to be her stat line is going to be a little deceptive where she's playing a lot better. She's a much better contributor to the team. You're just not seeing it in the numbers. Yeah. I think Minnesota's a team that had a really solid off season. They picked up a lot of pieces that they needed. Maybe not like some of the blockbuster moves that we've seen on other teams, but they picked up what they needed and they've got a solid, more solid group around her. So like you said, I think she can still have a better season, even if her numbers drop down. Um, which is obviously a good place for them, the links to be in there and probably a hot ish take for me, like a sleeper pick to win kind of the, the title this year. So I'm excited to see what they're going to do. But um, I think a player that we're still going to see a really solid year from, I just think she's still, it's what happened last year with her being in a good spot for her role still holds true. I think she's still their best, probably pure point guard on this roster. So I still think we're going to see a lot of, crystal danger field minutes this is going to change so i think the, the way their lineup looks a lot is going to change this year but i still think she's got a very solid path to a solid role on this team once again she's going to be alongside nafisa collier in minnesota fisa had obviously a really good second year in minnesota i'm going to drop a prediction here that nafisa collier is going to be the 2021 wnba mvp she just seems like she's on that trajectory she was kind of on the fringe of that conversation this past year, I think this is the year where she really steps up and just totally breaks out as a bona fide superstar in the league. I like that take. I think now that you're saying that she's going to be the MVP, you could call it a hot take, um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> busting you offline because I don't think saying she's a contender is a hot take at this point. I think she was proved herself to be in that conversation last year, but yeah, I think she's the type of player, if Minnesota, especially if Minnesota is going to be a championship favorite or at least one of the kind of top contenders for it she's gonna have to play at that level and I think we've very much seen that she's very capable of playing at that level so excited what she see what she does in year three but she's just her I mean her obviously her first season she wins rookie of the year it's really was an all-star in her first season um was I want to say first team all WNBA last year or second team all WNBA I forget which one but an all WNBA love a player regardless last season I think really the reason that Minnesota went as far as they did because Sylvia Falls was out a lot with injuries last year and she really carried this team and brought them to the uh, this, the semifinals in the in the league. So um, excited to see kind of how she built on that for year three and where she can help carry this team, especially if she has a healthy Sylvia Falls alongside of her. Yeah, I'm going to drop this on you right now. Who is your WNBA champion prediction right now with the season a few days away i'm gonna go with minnesota which is the hot take but i i do really think that they you know they were close to that position last year and then they went out and got exactly i think what they were missing in the off season and i just shell reeve is a fantastic coach and i think they've got the pieces to get there this year yeah not that i disagree with you but i just kind of feel like bet against brianna stewart winning something at your own risk (laughs) i mean every year she's been healthy in the wnba besides her rookie year right she's won or besides her first two years she's won the title so it's pretty good 
<laughs> but yeah, no, I think I think at the very least the Lynx are going to be a very fun team to watch this season. Yeah, I also think it's really hard to look at things right now and like make a pick. I think it was it maybe during like the the final four. Rebecca Lobo was like on there talking about teams that were championship contenders and listed like half the league, and that is I think very much the situation at the moment. <laughs> well, in fairness, half the league is six teams, so yeah, <laughs> that's that's not a small group of championship contenders. That's like a normal size, but no, I think the improved parity is pretty good. It's not like there's some super not juggernaut type team out there. Right. Moving on to some of the other players that aren't grouped together. Tina Charles finally going to play with the Washington Mystics got traded there last off season from the New York Liberty didn't play due to COVID concerns in the bubble. Going to be interesting to see what level she's at has been just such a dominant player throughout her WNBA career, but I feel like it's just tough for anyone to take a season off and come back. So I could see her maybe having a slower start to the year, but I think Washington's a pretty good spot for her to be. Yeah. And you're coming into a team. I think she's played with the Liberty for a while and obviously Liberty had not been the best team in the league by any stretch of the imagination. So it's definitely going to be a different role for her and that like, she's not going to be necessarily the like one and only centerpiece of this team. You've got Elena Delgan, you've got a lot of other really strong pieces that are going to be around her. So she's not going to necessarily have to come out with a bang like you, she would need to for the Liberty to be successful. But I'm excited to see kind of where she does. She's going back to to play under Mike Tebow, who I believe was her her coach in Connecticut when she first started out in the league. So mm-hmm. it will be fun to watch that storyline and just see what she does with the Mystics. Speaking of players that are back after opting out of last season, Tiffany Hayes with the Atlanta Dream. Going to miss the start of the season, if I'm not mistaken. But had a really good year in Europe. Was with Katie Lou Samuelson with CB Abenita. Again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing these things right. I think so. I think that's right. But yeah, won the Spanish League, got to the finals of the Euro League. Just one of those people who's just a really solid WNBA player. Not a superstar, but just a good, good player on a very interesting dream team. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is an interesting team. It's a young team. I mean, they just we didn't talk about it with the news, but a, a major coaching change and that Nikki Collin stepped down as the head coach of the dream to go coach at Baylor. So they've got an interim head coach going on right now. So just lots of different movement going on on that team. Yeah, absolutely. Steph Dolson, probably going to miss a good chunk of the WNBA season with the three on three as Stevens also with her in Chicago. Any thoughts on those two? Um, I'm interested to see what Azari Stevens done. I think we've seen somewhat solid position or season from her, but a little bit injury riddled. So if she can stay healthy for the year, I think she's got a good fit in this sky lineup and interest especially with, you know, Williams getting traded. I think that probably opens up some more minutes for her. So interested to see how that works out. Kia Stokes, once one of a lot of UConn players in New York, now the only one left. <laughs> Yeah, I don't really have anything. I know that there's a lot of hype around this Liberty team because of Sabrina Ionescu. I just, I still don't see them being good. There's a lot of good, like, good players that have come out of college recently that are on this roster, but it's, I don't know. I still just don't see how it's all coming together. So I guess interesting to see where she fits into their rotation in terms of they've got a whole lot of young pieces. And then, I mean, they did add Natasha Howard in the offseason, so that is a huge pickup, but I just, I don't know. I don't. I'm interested to see it all on the court and see what it looks like together. <laughs> Lastly, Mariah Jefferson feels like we say this before every WNBA season, but stay healthy and we'll see what happens. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Dallas is about a team, right? With so many young pieces, I mean, even though she's what, like, like, well, I guess five years from school now because I had my five year anniversary of graduation this weekend, but um, yeah, it's still a young piece, but a, I think a more experienced piece in terms of the Dallas roster goes so hopefully she can stay healthy and we'll, we'll see where it goes from there for her couple rapid fire questions for you of the UConn players who is the best non-Brianna Stewart player this season Nafisa Collier it's easy yeah, that's an easy one <laughs> which player that got traded or moved teams this offseason is going to benefit the most from the change of scenery 
that's one I think is a tie for me between Katie Lou Samuelson and Kenners. I think they both got traded into much better situations. I guess I'll give it to Lou just coming off the season in Europe. I'm really excited to see what she does. Good. I was going to force you to pick one, so I'm glad you did that <laughs> on your own. Who is the biggest surprise in the league, and that can be a good surprise or a bad surprise? I'm also going to say Lou for this one because I do actually think that like the way she's played abroad should translate well to her new role in, with the Storm, and I'm excited to see what it does. And I feel like a lot of people are, are doubting her and what she's been able to because she hasn't done that much in her first couple seasons, but I think we all know the type of player that she was in college, and she's certainly capable of playing well at this level. So I think if she built on that performance from abroad, she's going to be a big surprise. Pretty easy yes or no question here. Does Brianna Stewart win MVP or do you pick the field? Uh, I'm going to give the edge to Stewie there. (laughs) (laughs) Again, bet against Stewie at your own risk. Exactly. (laughs) So just to kind of wrap up a couple interesting points. There was a moose on campus in stores. Did you see the video of that? Yes, it was um, very important information in our family group chat. My family likes to go <laughs> to like national parks quite a bit, and we've been to quite a few where you're supposed to be able to see moose. We've never seen moose. We've seen like every other animal that you're supposed to see, but we never see moose. So we have like a running joke that moose don't actually exist. So yeah, <laughs> the video has been going through the family group chat with <laughs> fake news tagged to it. <laughs> I didn't even know there were moose in Connecticut. Yeah, I was reading an article about it today because now like the Department of whatever deep, I don't remember what it stands for, but it's like warning people to be careful about moose in the road because there's been a few sightings, I guess, in the last few weeks, mostly in like Litchfield area, but I guess there's some in stores too. (laughs) Right, like there's woods around Yukon. Not that they're small, but it's not like it's just vast wilderness, not like Litchfield (laughs) County. Like it's there's roads here and there. So that was kind of surprising. The senior scoop. I don't know if we've talked about this. No, we did talk about this. This is what got us on our food conversation (laughs) last time. Well, I have an update to it. The Gino Oriema, Oriema. I I don't actually know how you're supposed to say that. It looks a lot better written out. I didn't have it, but my friend got it when I was at the dairy bar a couple weekends ago. My friend actually gave a review of the ice cream for the podcast, so here's Shannon Healy on Gino Orioma. Okay, so I think that the flavor is definitely very solid and very standard. Um, I'm a huge chocolate ice cream person, like it's clearly the superior flavor, so that was a huge plus for me. Plus, I love Oreos, like would live and die for Oreos. So that combination, you know, it can't be beat. And then the peanut butter, it was good. It definitely added like a lot of richness to the ice cream. So I almost wish I hadn't gotten it on a cone. I wish I had gotten it like with a spoon because I feel like that would have made the flavor more enjoyable for me. Um, And then the caramel, like that is a myth. It's a legend. It's not in there. But overall, I think the flavor was really good and everyone should try it. I still haven't made it to the dairy bar, but it's, it's on my list of things to get to. <laughs> <laughs> and then, as you mentioned, Nikki Collin going from the Atlanta dream, hightailing it out of Atlanta just before the start of the season to go be the new head coach at Baylor. Yeah, I mean, definitely a huge coaching hire for Baylor. I can't really imagine a better way that that could have worked out for them. I think it's probably one of the best possible hires they could have cut. Got, and I mean, obviously her coaching experience in the WNBA too, right? Like that's a big draw for players to want to come, come play right. for someone that's coached at that level. It seems to be keeping their roster together a fair amount. I think Moon Erzin has put her name in the transfer portal, but Melissa Smith has expressed a lot of excitement about it on Twitter. So that's obviously a really good sign for Baylor going into next year. Finally, Camilla Cardosa going to South Carolina. That does not seem fair, but I guess <laughs> we, we cover UConn. Like, I don't think yeah. we should be discussing what's fair and what's not. Yeah, Don Staley is definitely trying to give UConn a little bit of a run for the money of being the super team for the next next few years. So, yeah, from Syracuse, um, ACC freshman of the year, I believe, and co-defensive player of the year, player that's been just really solid in her first year, and I think it's only going to get better, so... Yeah, their front court, it's looking pretty scary between uh, her and Olivia Boston. Yeah, 
And Syracuse no longer exists. <laughs> yeah, Syracuse has just stopped existing as a team. Honestly, like I don't even think there's actually enough players on their roster to field a team at the moment. So it was like a. I don't know how many were on their roster to begin with, but it was eleven that went in the transfer portal, right, and left. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I did think I see saw that they picked someone up from Ohio State this past week, so they they've added one new piece to replace their eleven players that have left. <laughs> It's like, what? something's going on there. I don't know what. Something it's has like, to be going on. It's like the meme with the flex seal where it's like the water pouring out. And then it's not Billy Mays. It's uh, whoever the other like guy is that tries to sell it, slapping the flex seal on. It's like the water pouring out is everyone leaving. And then the Ohio State transfer is trying to slap it back on. But yeah, so something yes you don't lose all those players without something going on in Syracuse it was like with UConn men's basketball it's like at the end of the Kevin Alley era I should add where okay you lose one player to transfer that's a little concerning you lose two I'm getting worried you lose three and then a player decommits something is definitely happening and I don't think Ollie lasted another year after all that happened so or maybe he lasted two no I yeah, it was because he got fired after my sophomore year and all those transfers came from players that were in the same class as me. So Quentin Hillsman, figure it out, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going on, but it can't be good. <laughs> well, that is going to do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. You can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Be sure to sign up for the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. Get it free in your inbox every Thursday. Subscribe to get coverage of the team all year round. Again, if you forgot about it from the start of the show, we're going to be moving to a different place. So once that gets announced, we'll make sure you're aware of it. But just so you have a heads up on that, Megan, send us out. WNBA season tips off Friday, so make sure to watch it this weekend. That'll do it. <laughs>